morning. Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here. Good morning, Axel. Good morning, everyone at home. Our, expe our expectations at Christmas time can be sky high. And well, they should be. After all, it's the most wonderful time of year, right? It's the hap happiest season of all. Thank you, Andy Williams. And yet for many, high expectations can lead to a Christmas letdown. That's why this time of year is the beginning of some of the toughest work for pastors and counselors because we're entering the holiday season and into winter when most reports of depression and hardship and that letdown come our way. A flurry of preparation, a buying frenzy, another sleepless night trying to figure out how to pay all the bills, manic travel plans, missed mailing dates, making it to the in-laws, making sure your in-laws get the equal amount of time with the kids and everyone's happy and they like, yes, mom, he liked your gift as much as he liked her gift and all those issues, meeting everybody's needs except your own, the kids trying and often failing to be on their perfect behavior. They're wearing clothes that they haven't worn for an entire year. Little bow ties and, and fruffles and trying to be perfect for 24-7 is just impossible. Coming home from college, happy to be back, but the time home is either going to be too long or too short and too much stress and too many things that you don't want your parents to know that happened at, at college. Mourning loved ones who are no longer with you and Christmases of yesteryear. High expectations risk big disappointments during the holidays. So that's how Christmas can be such a letdown. Yet for Christians, and most of us here, I believe, are Christians and watching at home, and I wouldn't presume to say all, but for Christians, Christmas is all about high expectations, sky-high expectations. Advent means the expectations, the preparations of the coming of the Christ child, the birth of the Savior, Christ, Christos in Greek. We get uh, from Hebrew to English the word Messiah. We celebrate the Messiah, the God-man, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. We have so much to celebrate with our sky-high expectations. We sing things like, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Please, as man with men to dwell, Jesus are. Wow. They, they said it in great enthusiasm, everyone at home. Hark! The herald angels sing. All right. If someone wants to explain to somebody what veiled in flesh the Godhead, I mean, we're seeing these things. What does it mean? Well, we sing it. We celebrate it. Glory to the newborn king. And even still, none of us here are immune from a Christmas letdown. And far worse than expectations being disappointed is the kind of Christmas letdown that comes when we struggle with what the true meaning of Christmas is. Do we truly believe he is the Savior? God is in flesh, that he has come and that he's coming. So that's the real letdown of Christmas, doubt. When doubt leads to despair and leads to 
unbelief. Today's passage that we're going to look at this morning is the original Christmas letdown. And I'm going to try to give us three ways that we can lift up our spirits when we are feeling doubt that leads to unbelief. No one in the Bible had higher expectations for that O holy night, nor no one in the Bible had such great profound disappointment and lit down than a man called John, John the Baptist. So we're going to look at part of John's story, an unfamiliar text read at Christmas time, and hopefully you can hear something that might be of encouragement to you and some practical guidance to get through this holiday season. Now when I read God's word at the end, I often will say, the word of the Lord. And you, if you believe it, the word of the Lord, the response of the congregation is, thanks be to God. So here it is, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 to 6. I'll give you a moment to open your Bibles. It'll also be on the screen. And it says this, listen now to the word. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is, the, is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John the Baptist felt the biggest Christmas let, let down of all time. He was just three months old when his cousin Jesus was born. Of course, he couldn't remember. He's only three months old. But his mother, Elizabeth, surely told him the story of when Aunt Mary came to visit and when John, in utero, left for joy being in the presence of the Messiah. John's father, Zechariah, was a priest by vocation. That meant that John would follow in his father's line of work. He would go to the equivalent of seminary and, and, and serve in their community, just as Zechariah had, but not John. But John, as a young man, religious and zealous, since a calling of the Lord for something more, a calling on his life that took him out of the mainstream and out into the wilderness to prepare for the coming Messiah. John, later known as John the Baptist, took to heart the prophecy of Isaiah, 700 years uh, written before, uh, which it pro proclaimed the coming of the Messiah, uh, the Savior, quote, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John one day must have said, that, that's me. I'm going to be the one to prepare the way for, for the Lord. John believed it, and not only John believed it, everyone around him believed it. And long after, uh, throughout church history, uh, the church has believed it. John, the other John, the one who is the beloved disciple, wrote in the very beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light 
that all might believe through Jesus. It's an incredible calling. And people can come up with all kinds of callings of their own, but confirmed by God, confirmed by what was happening around him, confirmed by his ministry. For 300 years had passed, and there wasn't a single word from heaven, no prophetic word, no movement of the Spirit. And then suddenly, out of the wilderness, comes this crazy man, dressed crazy, eating crazy stuff, with a ministry as the final prophet of expectation and preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And his ministry, John's ministry, was absolutely massive throughout this region around the Jordan. He preached and proclaimed a message of baptism, of repentance. In, in modern terms, John's message would be, get your mind right, people. Get your affairs in order. He's coming. He's coming soon. He's coming quick. People love that message. I mean, he didn't sugarcoat it. He, he pulled no punches. He was challenging the status quo, and he was calling people to repent and to get ready for the coming of the Messiah. And so he didn't mess around. He didn't mince words, and he was fearless. Some started to think, is he the Messiah? He said, no, I'm not the Messiah. There's one that's coming. Let me give you a sample. Just a little teaser, a little app appetizer, appetite of John's kind of preaching. Really meek and mild, very winsome, very light-hearted stories at Christmas time. So gather the children around. Come on, Axel. Listen to this gentle message from your old uncle John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one that is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff and with unquenchable fire. Middle schoolers, you're now asked to leave for Sunday school. Can you imagine that message? And yet people weren't turned off by it. People started coming in droves to be baptized by John. He made it clear, I'm not the Messiah. And when Jesus did arrive to be baptized, we read about that in, in, in Matthew uh, 3, he just had a ragtag group of friends. Compared to an army of zealots that were following John and hanging on his every word, and yet John said with great joy, I must decrease that he might increase. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm not worthy to even untie your sandals to Jesus of Nazareth. He will be the liberator of our people. You know, it may have been that type of preaching, that type of fearlessness that got John into such deep trouble. He called out the leader of the people, the albeit a puppet leader who was put in, in power by Rome, uh, Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod, Herod the Great that was there when Jesus was, first, was born. But his, his, his son, Herod Antipas, was, he was a real winner. The, tr the apple didn't fall far from the tree. And he was a terrible person. And among other things that he did that were outside the bounds of, of what was expected of a leader at that time, he married his brother's wife. 
And John called him out for it, for adultery. So for embarrassing a powerful leader, a powerful man like that, it landed John in prison. In Herod's citadel called uh, Macarus, it's uh, located in the southeast of Jerusalem on the eastern shore of the Dead Sea. You can go there now and, and visit the ruins of, of that citadel. And so the very axe that John said is being wielded, it's at the tree. It's going to cut out this corrupt system. It's going to free the people. It's going to destroy Rome. It's going to destroy all these terrible leaders like Herod. That very axe was now dangling over John's neck. And all that happened, all that arrest happens way back in Matthew chapter 4. We're in chapter 11, right? So from chapter 4 all the way to 11, all of Jesus' ministry and teaching and miracles are unfolding. And John, rotting in prison, still can hear from his disciples that stop by to fill him in on what's happening. And as they do, and as he hears about Jesus' deeds, John's zeal begins to fizzle. It's replaced by doubt and despair. And so he asks these words, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? The greatest Christmas letdown of all time. Here he is, the forerunner, the one who got everyone jazzed, ready to go. Come on, he's coming, he's coming. He's the one, be prepared. Ask this question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? I hear doubt. I hear dis desperation. I hear dread. What have I done with my entire adult life? I've led all these people the wrong way. I hear depression. Imagine being in a dark cell. I certainly hear lit down in his voice. Before we get into it and try to unpack what, what he was saying and how Jesus responds, I want you to take note of the authenticity of Scripture. It would have been so easy for the biblical writers to edit this part out. I mean, John the Baptist is a hero. Wouldn't it be easier just to edit out those parts that, that you know, soften the, the history? And so Someone like John who should be lifted up and, and as an example to us. Let's just edit this part of the story out. But no, they don't do that. Clear eye. They wanted to write exactly what happened. This is what, what happened, folks. And so I love that the biblical authors are authentic in saying what happened. It rings with truth here. And that's true throughout Scripture. Moses doubted Yahweh, recorded in Exodus chapter 4. And John doubted Jesus. And it's recorded here in Matthew chapter 11 and Luke chapter 7. But why did he doubt Jesus' identity and ministry? Why the letdown? Of, of all the people, you'd think John would be the last one to doubt. And why doubt now? I mean, it's not like the end of the ministry, right? Right now, Jesus is reaching his peak in popularity. Why would it be that John, okay, yeah, he's in prison. That's, that's rough. I've never been in prison. Well, I won't ask, show of hands. I don't think it would be very fun to be in the prison of a dictator. But, but it's happening. Everything that he's been working for is happening. Jesus is, is out moving powerfully. Why would John doubt now? 
I don't think it was so much what Jesus was doing that, that turned his expectations into despair and disappointment. I think what bothered John was that Jesus was being the Savior, but only to the wrong kind of people. John had preached, the Messiah will come after me and baptize the righteous with the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the prophecies, Joel's prophecy of the Holy Spirit coming on God's people, and the rest of y'all are going to hell. That's what he says. He will baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. And so John expected both things to happen. Stick a fork in them. They're done. That's not what's happening. John is in a cell, and he can hear up above, in the citadel above, Herod and his harem having a big old party. He, he's thinking of the wickedness, the fornication of prostitutes there, there and, and, and the debauchery of tax collectors that would have been Herod's closest friends. This is the kind of thing I could imagine him thinking and looking up there and shaking his fists in his cell down below. Then he has his, his disciples come to him, report to him, how's my cousin doing? What's happening? What's the latest news? The chosen one, is it happening? Have things broken out? What's going on? And they say, well, yeah, we, we've seen Jesus. Okay, what's, what's he doing right now? What's happening? He's at dinner. Okay, yeah, he's at dinner. That's fine. He's having a dinner party. Okay, okay. but who? Who is he, who's he meeting with? Uh, he's having a dinner party with prostitutes and tax collectors. And John would say, you got to be kidding me. What now? Jesus is supposed to burn down this corrupt system. He, he should be knocking Herod off. He should be kicking Rome out. And by the way, maybe getting me out of this prison cell since chapter 4. I've been stuck here. Now it's chapter 11. But Jesus is spreading a message of love and mercy and grace and hope. Yes, there's warnings of judgment to come. By all means, we can't ignore the warnings that Jesus gives directly and indirectly in parable and teaching and instruction. But his law is love and his gospel is is peace. And so John experiences an existential crisis of doubt. Can anybody here relate? Jesus doesn't meet your expectations. Can anyone here relate to the idea of saying, I thought this is the way God's supposed to work, but I see this in my life? Is there anyone here or watching at home that's languishing in a prison not made of bars, but of your circumstances. See, we sing of these great and wondrous ideals, but there's division, injustice, threats all around us. Where's Jesus? You see, I believe God heals people, but why is my loved one dying of cancer? I trust that God's in control, but my adult kids are out of control. Where are you, God, in this? Yes, we're to, to fear nothing. Yes and amen. I'm not to be afraid of anything. But it's so scary what's happening all around. If that's you, I have a word for you this morning. And if it's not you right now, it will be at some point. Here's how your faith can be lifted up when you're feeling let down and doubt. Three points. Witness for Jesus. This is from the text. Witness for Jesus. Walk in the Spirit. 
and wait on the Father. Witness for Jesus, walk in the Spirit, and wait on the Father. Where's Pastor Frank when you need him? Say amen, because he just would love that. Three points. Are you the one, or should we be looking for another? Here's Jesus' reply, verse 4 and 5. To John's question, he says, Go back, report to John what you see and hear, or what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, go back and tell John, yes, I am the Messiah. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say anything new or that John doesn't already know. There's no new information. Jesus simply draws a list of his divine miracles that go back <coughs> to Scripture that John would know quite well, the, <coughs> the prophecy of Isaiah, in particular chapter 35 and 61, that speaks directly to the coming Messiah. And what's quite fascinating to me in that passage, if you go back, and I did this week for you, you're welcome, but you can look at your own, Isaiah 35 and 61. What's fascinating is Jesus does not mention the parts in those passages about vengeance and judgment that are in those passages. He only mentions the miracles of love, mercy, grace, restoration, and good news. And so it's as if he's saying, John, you know that I'm the Messiah. My miracles are proof. But final judgment is yet to come. Right now, my ministry is focused on preaching the gospel to the poor, redeeming God's people. Justice is to come, just not as fast as you expect. So John, trust me and witness for me. You are a witness for me, even in your prison. Christ is inviting John to read the prophecy anew and bring his expectations of the Messiah into line with Scripture. That he would be the, the suffering servant before he became the triumphant king. John couldn't see. John wasn't prepared to see the cross of Christ. He, he had no notion that God's justice, God's wrath, all that would land on his son, the Messiah. So the first way your faith can be lifted up when you are feeling let down is to be a witness for Jesus. So Jesus says to those disciples of John, go back and report to John what you hear and see. That's putting your faith into action, folks. Going, reporting, hearing, seeing. The greatest joy of Christmas is to tell someone that Jesus really is the Savior. What, what a profound, quick, easy, and practical opportunity you have. Invite one person to church. Well, they might not come. Unless, just go for it. Be a witness to invite someone to be the hands and feet of the gospel. The going one, the reporting one, the hearing one, the seeing one. It's to be a witness for Jesus. And I'm telling you, even in your own hardship and struggle and frenziness of this time, if you take a moment to invite someone, to reach out to someone, to lift up in the way you write your Christmas cards to them, and you bear witness to them, God will encourage your faith. Witness for Jesus. Number two, walk in the Spirit. 
Not everyone here is a believer, but if you are a believer in Christ, and you have been uh, saved by the blood of Christ, and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, which I will give you an opportunity to do this morning, when you do that, the Holy Spirit indwells believers, helps us to pray, leads believers in righteousness, produces spiritual fruit in us. So to walk is a metaphor for practical daily living. The Bible says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25. We want to walk in the Spirit. We want to do things every day, daily decisions, daily choices that you have. Even now, even when you're on break, even when things are crazy, you get a couple days off, you can make choices, even in this holiday season, that will lead you to being in step with the Spirit. Look at verse 6. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus offers a, a little, uh, very mild rebuke to John. He can take it. He's a big boy. They're, they're family. John has said way worse things. This is really a beatitude. It's a blessing. Blessed is anyone, John, who does not stumble on account of me. The reality is all Christians struggle with doubt at one time or another. And certainly that includes mature believers among us. Especially when we face difficult circumstances, disappointment, heartache. Our hope can evaporate for a season. What do we do? We walk in the Spirit. We take each day as an opportunity to make practical, godly choices that bring us closer to God. And Scripture is our first stop in the struggles against doubt. Now, I'd like to be more specific than say, read your Bible every day. So I will say this. Friends, listen very carefully. Please be sure to have more than a one-dimensional portrait of Christ before you. A one-dimensional portrait of Christ that, that elevates one aspect of his character and purposes and neglects others. We want a three-dimensional Jesus John's expectations fell short because he was expecting judgment and he wasn't seeing what Jesus was actually doing. He was missing Jesus' first ministry was a ministry of grace. And I'm afraid that we can get out of step of the Spirit if we're not in God's Word, if we're not looking to the Holy Spirit, we're out of sync with the Spirit of Christ. All too often when we look for the one-liners, quick ideas, quick insights about Jesus to the detriment of all the rest. And so someone will say, Pastor Pete, great sermon. Why was it a great sermon? I love that you talked about this aspect of who Jesus is and these priorities of the kingdom. And yes and amen, because this is what's most important to me. Then the next week I preach a different passage. Oh, Pastor, this is the best sermon I've heard in years because you finally talked about what's most important to me. You get what I'm trying to lay down? I want us to have a three-dimensional view of Jesus. And so, in the new year, we're going to stay in the book of Romans, which is the full gospel. Soup to nuts, the whole, the whole thing. And there are going to be parts that are going to be hard and challenging. Pastor, I don't like that part. Can we just edit that part out? Okay, let's get to Romans 8. Can we all just agree Romans 8 is awesome? Now, this part's confusing. Let's skip over to chapter 12. I like that part, too. I think being in step with the Spirit means looking to all of who Jesus is in prayer and in his word. 
blessed are those who do not stumble over me. That word stumble in the Greek is scandalizo. Scandalizo, it's where we get the word scandal or scandalize. He says, blessed are those who are not embarrassed to walk with me. Are you embarrassed to walk with Jesus? Are you, are you embarrassed to tell people that you're a believer in Jesus? Blessed is anyone who does not stumble but walks in the truth, walks in the light, walks in step with the Spirit. So witness for Jesus, walk in the Spirit, and finally, wait on the Father, on the Father's promises. Drop down to Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. See, he has a scene, he sends them on their way, and then he begins to talk about John, and he praises John to his, his followers that are with him. And he says these words, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of, the he of heaven is greater than he. Wow. What a compliment. Before kind of a dig, but we'll get there. What a compliment. Even after John doubts, Jesus pays him this great compliment. No one is greater than John. He's greater than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, greater than Moses and Joshua, David and Solomon, greater than all the mothers and fathers throughout the Old Testament, greater than all the prophets Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and even his favorite Isaac. John the Baptist is greater than all of them because he fulfilled this great calling of God to prepare the way of the Lord. And yet, Jesus then says, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does he mean by that? He means it's because John only lived to see the first advent. He didn't see the Messiah's finished atoning work on the cross. John didn't live long enough. He became a martyr. His head was separated from his neck and shoulders, knees and toes. As a martyr, for God's mysterious purpose, that was what he was to be as a witness. But he was not there to see Christ die on the cross for the sins of the world, laid in a borrowed tomb, risen on the third day. He wasn't there at Pentecost to see as the apostles were cowering, waiting for, for a sign from heaven when he burst on the scene and he poured out his Holy Spirit on the apostles and the church was set ablaze. John didn't see Jesus move to eradicate evil, purge the world of sin and the curse as far as the curse is found and destroy demonic strongholds. But we do. We get to see this. And so the least of us, the little itty-bitties of us here in the kingdom of heaven that trust Jesus, say, I believe in Jesus. Help me, Lord, with my doubt. I want to believe and trust in you. Jesus says, you are greater than John. But to do so, we need to wait on the Father, because we are living in a season of the already, but not yet. Already experiencing the kingdom of God breaking through. Our faith is the largest in the world. Billions of Christians, and by 2050, it will continue to be the largest. There are more Christians now in China than there are in the United States of America. And they will be the next great superpower, and praise God that we have Christian brothers and sisters in China who will be raised in the ranks, I believe, 
as the Lord sees fit in his timing. That's already happening, but we're not there yet. He hasn't returned yet. And so to lift us up in the season of Christmas when so much is happening in the world and there's another shutdown, really? And there's struggle and there's inflation and there's war and rumors of war and there's power struggles and there's scary things in the world. This is the season when we most of all need to wait on the Father. Your elders gathered yesterday for a prayer meeting to talk about the We Are Family campaign, to share where we are now and what the Lord would have for us. And we, we weren't of all the same mind when we first came in there. We, were, we went around the room and started to share, uh, okay, what, what, what do you think? What do you hear that God's saying? And we left that meeting at 1 o'clock in the afternoon with such a lifting of our hearts and spirits and unity that God is in this with us. One of our elders went around all the way around the room, and I was going to be the last one to speak, but the elder to my left said this. He said, I've heard from the Lord. He was shaking as he said this. The Lord gave him this word, let me show up. And there was confirmation. People were nodding. The Lord was saying, let me show up. Watch and see what I will do. Trust in me. Wait on the Father. Friends, so I ask you, church, you watching at home and everyone here, please, as we come into the end of this, uh, this year and begin the new year with a series uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, I invite you to be praying, waiting on the Lord, asking the questions, what is the future plans that God has for our church? Sky-high expectations. Why? Because God sets sky-high expectations for what he will do in his timing and according to his timetable. Like John, we live in a time when the good guys do not always win. Righteous people suffer, and this can lead us to doubt God's promises. So three things. Witness for Jesus, walk in the Spirit, and wait on the Father. John, uh, Rob, why don't you come out with the team, and I want to read one last passage, and then we'll pray. I want to leave you with this from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27 to 28. And just as it was appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment, it's true for everyone, men, women, all of us, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, a second advent, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly, what? Waiting for him. So if you're waiting for him, if you're waiting for an answer, if you're struggling with doubt right now, I want to pray for you. If you've not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to pray for you now as well. So let's pray. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us, we adore you. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, in the midst of our high expectations that could lead to a big disappointment and a big Christmas letdown and struggles of things that we see happening in our world around us, we pray, oh God, that you would minister to us now. Allow our little light to shine. Allow us to be used by you, God. We've, none of us here will have as, as big a calling as John the Baptist, but Lord, help us to witness for you this Christmas season. And help us, Lord, to stay in step with your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, this Christmas morning, before we start tearing into stockings and presents that... 
Someone in the household would say, let's stop. Let's read the gospel message. Let's hear again the story of Christmas. Let's thank our, our Lord and Savior. Help us to be in step with your spirit, Lord. And enable us to wait on you, Father. In the midst of the already but not yet, and the hardships of this life and the struggles and strains and everything we see in the news, help us to be reminded of the good news that in your perfect timing you sent your son. For any watching this at home or sitting here in the auditorium, if you've yet to surrender your life to Christ, I invite you to do so right now. See, I don't know what it means to be a witness for Jesus. I don't feel the Spirit moving in me. I don't want to do the things that the Bible says to do. But now I'm confronted with the calling of the Savior. I pray right now that you would surrender your life to Christ. Receive the, the greatest gift in the universe that was paid for at the cross. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you. Please forgive me. I surrender my life to you. Please, God, come and, and have your way with me. Work in my life. I want to get off the throne of my life so you can be the king of my life. If you pray this prayer, we pray that you would meet with us after church and we can get you some resources and counsel and care. Pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.